Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. Good to be with you this morning. Um, If you have your Bibles, we are in Mark chapter 8. And we'll continue our our study through here, the Gospel of Mark, as we see um, Christ uh, continuing to be exalted throughout the stories of Mark and just um, and, and the way that he weaves these stories together. I love, I love that in this book that um, it, it does feel a little bit quicker of a pace, even though maybe it doesn't to you guys. We've been here for a while, but um, that, that Mark has, has chosen stories in specific ways so that we can see the gospel just kind of woven through the lives of what's going on at this time. And we see it in the disciples and the Pharisees and in just different moments of different people's lives of God at work and the gospel and the kingdom of God's presence there. Um, and, and in this instant, in the last half of chapter 8, what we're going to see today is, is something that I think the last few sermons has been building up to that we've been talking about a little bit, but uh, Mark really brings the application here as as we're fixing the transition into seeing Christ in his last few days and weeks of ministry and, and getting ready to head to the cross. Right here is a defining moment um, when he asks, and he asked Peter, or he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? This confession of Jesus Christ, of who he is. And today what we're going to see is in this story is that um, this is a very personal thing. This is something that we all have to answer because in the last few weeks we've seen um, ways to come to God. We've seen that there was a, a way to approach them. There was the way that the Pharisees were, which was unbelief, and there was a way that um, the woman with the child who was demon-possessed came to him ready and open to hear and, and feeling unworthy of the gospel, unworthy of what Christ could do in her life. And then we saw last week that um, through these stories of what Jesus was doing and and, and showing his power for the disciples and, and continuing to, to speak to them as they're, they're growing in their understanding. The Pharisees still are not grasping it. They're still there in their unbelief, but the disciples are growing and beginning to see um, what the gospel is all about. And then here today, what we see is this test of genuine faith. And here's the, here's the message. We all have to answer this question for ourselves. We all have to see this as a very personal, real question for each one of us because there's nothing that's going to get us to heaven. There's nothing that's going to restore our relationship with God besides Jesus. And all of these people throughout Mark have been missing that. They've not been understanding. It's not been clearly stated. Uh, We had the privilege of understanding the full gospel, of understanding what Christ is going to accomplish. Here he's leading up to that, and they're just not fully understanding what Christ is doing. Um, but here he, he asks this question and it causes us to confront our own unbelief, our own wavering hearts, our own desires for other things, and our own desire to be kings of our own kingdoms. And we have to submit to Christ. And this is a daily thing. And we'll see this as we look through here as we see that we're to confess Christ, to believe and submit to him, and then to follow him. This is the mark of every true believer. And so today we'll test ourselves. Lay your lives against the Scriptures. Let the Scriptures speak 
to your heart. Let us speak to those places that, that maybe you're holding back. Maybe even there's sin and, and things that, that you're not ready to deal with. And let the Scripture speak to that because Christ is the one who, is, who has come to save us from our sins, who has come to reconcile us to God, who has come to work through even those difficult places in our lives. So we see first in this, in this chapter, um, you confess Christ. This is the first question of, of this test for our own life of genuine faith. Do we confess Christ? And so let's go back and look and, and read through here in this confession of Peter. Um, and then we'll continue on to two more questions that we have to know. As true believers in Christ, our lives will show the answers to these things. And so starting in verse 27 of chapter 8, it says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. He begins to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him Will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into the glory of this Father the whole, with the holy angels? Let's pray. Father, we just ask today that your word, uh, Lord, that your word be the thing that, that speaks to our hearts directly. Lord, that it, it is the thing that we, we see here. Lord, that we recognize as our need. Um, Lord, just speaks to our need for you. Lord, I pray that... Um, whether believers or non-believers, God, that we would just be, um, just, uh, just have our eyes open to our, our great need of you being a part of our lives every day. Lord, of our great need of a Savior who, who is continually there for us, a Savior who, who changes us from the inside out. Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, that your scriptures just call us to um, dedicate our lives to following you in this way, Lord, to be excited to see the value of the grace that you give us. God, let your word speak. Or let our hearts and, and eyes and ears be open to hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question is, do you confess Christ? This is the biggest question in life. Uh, who do you say that I am? This is what Jesus calls to them. First he says, um, and he asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? He kind of gives this general statement because he, we know this. In Mark, there's been lots of confusion. And so he wants to know what people are thinking. 
And some kind of throw back to, to thinking, some people think like John the Baptist, that this, it was this prophet who was coming to prepare the way of the Messiah. And some people think that that's who Jesus was. Um, some people think Elijah, uh, and, and that he's this, this prophet who, who's come back in the return, preparing again a way for, for the Savior to come, the Messiah, who he would come before him. And so there's this misunderstanding that people are not seeing Jesus Christ as, as God's son. And, and all of Mark is about establishing that this is the son of God who has come in power to establish his kingdom to bring salvation. And I think in our own hearts that well, there's, there can be um, moments of confusion and doubt. But here we see that, that our world tries to explain away even then. Even then they try to say that Jesus was not who he says he is. We know this. That there are other religions in, in today that, that question the person of Jesus. But here's the deal. He's too big of a historical figure for them just to erase him from their religion. So do you know that many other religions speak of who Jesus is? They speak of him in, in kind of these same ways as, as this prophet who has come. Just what they were, had a different understanding. Islam says Jesus is a great prophet, not as great as Muhammad. Um, and he has no saving power. But, but they can't explain away the person, so they, they just take away his power, his deity. Hinduism says he's a great prophet sent by God to fulfill God's purposes. But he didn't die, and he was not resurrected. That's a big deal to not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because that is the accomplishing work of Jesus to, to redeem mankind from their sins. They believe that he was just this empowered incarnation of God. Um, Judaism, what we've been seeing through Mark and even to this day, that they believe he was a false messiah. That he wasn't really who he says he claimed to be. Buddhists believe that he may be a reincarnate of Buddha. Um, that if nothing else, he's a very enlightened man of God. Mormon church believes that he's the brother of Lucifer and Lucifer chose evil and Jesus chose good and he was sent by God and guess what they they claim that there is self that that the blood of Jesus was shed for the sins of all people all people and so everybody has a claim to salvation but here's the problem that true salvation comes through your works and your acts within the church and and your accomplishments and what you achieve on your own the Bible clearly says it's not about that, that Jesus Christ in him alone is salvation. It's not about us or what we do, and it's for those who call upon the name of the Lord. It's not a universal uh, shedding of blood for, for sins that, that it, it covers all people, but it's those who call upon the Lord and ask for his salvation and saving grace. Scientology says Jesus is a fictional character, someone who, who has come into this world by name only. There's so many things, even in our day and age, that say, yes, we, we've heard of this Jesus. He, yeah, he's this historical character, but he has no relevance to our lives. Because we would have to deal with something that, that says that we're broken and we're sinful, and, and we have to submit to the leadership and the words of Christ and the word of God. And people don't want to do that. So Jesus takes this general question, says, who do people say I am? And he turns it inward and he says, in a very personal way, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And this is the, the, the biggest question that we all have to answer in our lives, is who do we say that Jesus is? 
The first test to the genuineness of our faith is, do we confess Jesus? Do we see him as what Peter, he gives the perfect answer uh, in this moment. Even after all the things that we talked about, their confusion and, and not fully understanding last week. But here he gives this answer and he says, you are the Christ. Christ being the anointed one, meaning the Messiah, the one sent by God to accomplish all of God's purposes. The Son of God is what he's answering, that he is Jesus. That's what Peter's confessing in this moment, that you are Jesus. You are the one who can save man from their sins, and only you and you alone. We have to, in our lives, confess Jesus in this way. That we have to know him in this real way. The Bible tells us that we uh, believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That, that we have to know that Jesus is the Son of God. Do our lives confess that? Simple application here. Um, ask yourself, are there people in my life that don't know I believe in Jesus? Are there people in my life that don't know that I confess Jesus as Lord? Like Peter is saying here that that, that is what he's establishing, that, that you are the Christ. He's saying that all of those things, that here's the one we submit to. You are the Savior. You are the one that God has sent. And we can ask ourselves, do people know, do I walk through this life and people not even know that I'm a believer? Because my life is not confessing Christ. My lips are not confessing Christ. I'm not telling people. I am not fully confessing Christ with everything that I am. And so a mark of genuine belief is that we confess Christ as Savior. We confess Him as Lord. We understand that He is the one sent by God to accomplish all that God has sent Him to accomplish, which is the salvation of mankind in no other name but the name of Jesus. Right? In no other way is the wrath of God satisfied except for through the person of Jesus. And we have to be people who confess that. That is a very personal thing that I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross, that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of my sins because he lived a perfect life and he laid that perfect life down as a sacrifice to pay, to redeem mankind, to pay the debt that I owed. We confess Christ do we do this in our lives? Um, do we confess him uh, daily? Do we, do we, the way that we live our lives is a confession that's showing that Christ is a part of us and who we are. The Bible tells us that we identify our lives with him as no longer I live, but Christ who lives within me. He is a part of who we are as believers, that, that the Bible tells us he dwells within us. And so you should look differently. If you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord to be your Savior, then there should be something in your life that shows the world that Jesus is a part of it. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. Who do I say that Jesus is? Is he the Lord and Savior of my life? And am I living in that way? And that's what the rest of the chapter is about. It's about that we do confess him with our mouth, but in our life and the way that we submit to him and follow him, does it show that we are living for Jesus? Listen to this. Next part, we see that Jesus, Peter does this amazing confession of, of who Jesus is. And then we go to the next story in verse 31. And Peter is, is rebuking Jesus in this moment. And Jesus calls him out, rebukes him back, for, and calls him Satan. So how do you go from confessing him as Christ 
to being called rebuked by him and being called Satan. And it's, it's, it's this idea of, of learning to submit even to the hard truths of the gospel that we see that Peter is kind of getting messed up with here. And in verse 31 it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter did not want to hear that Jesus Christ was going to have to suffer these things. He did not want to hear what this meant for him to be Savior. He loved Jesus. He has been following Jesus. I don't know if it was out of pain and, and, and heartache that, to think that my Savior is going to have to go through these things. And so what does he do? He, he pulls him aside. He's like, no, Jesus, this is, this is not how it's going to be. We're going to, we're going to figure this out. It's not going to be through these things. And, and Jesus looks and sees the disciples gathered around And he says, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, Jesus spoke, it says, plainly of what the gospel was going to be, what what he was there to accomplish, that that he was going to have to go through these hard things. And Peter wasn't ready to hear that. He wasn't willing to to see Jesus go through those things um, and these difficult things. And what this... I think what this is, is calling us to look inward at is are we willing to submit to Christ in all things? Are we willing to submit to Christ in every part of our lives? See, Peter here, and he wasn't willing to even say, yeah, Jesus, whatever you say, I'm okay with. He was bold enough to say, that's not okay with me, so let me, let me pull you aside and call you out for these things. Um, But we have to understand that we are called to submit to Christ in all aspects of our lives, even in the hard truths of the gospel. Even in the things that that we have to deal with that are difficult for us because we don't want people to know our sin. And we we don't want to have to confess things. And we don't want to have to deal with certain things. And so we keep them hidden and held back. But the But there are hard truths of the gospel that tell us that we're broken sinners. Often people don't want to come to Jesus because they don't want to first deal with that idea that there's something wrong with me. That the depravity, that that we're all born this way into our sinful nature. We all have these hearts that are easily turned away from God and turned to the things of this world. That that we have that... inside of us. We talked about that last week with even the disciples. They knew Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They saw him feed the 5,000, and yet when they go to feed the 4,000, they go, okay, what are we gonna, how are we going to feed these people? It's because our hearts are easily forget what Christ can do. It's because our hearts can easily be turned away. They get on a boat, and they go, man, we're on this boat, and we didn't bring but one loaf of bread, so what are we going to do? And Jesus is with them. He's like, have you not remember?" That just fed all of these people. And that's, that's the heart that we have within us, that we struggle in this life to quickly be turned to the world and away from the spiritual things, to see the things the way God has them set. See, Jesus Christ had come to establish a spiritual kingdom. And they would get, Peter, even in this moment, is, is focused on this physical thing that was going to happen to him, even though it was going to accomplish a spiritual thing. I think the question for us is, is are we willing to submit to Christ in all things, even the difficult things? In our lives as believers, if we're going to confess Jesus, we're also going to surrender to him. 
We're going to confess him as, as the one that Christ has, as God has sent, the one who has come to accomplish all of his purposes. But the, if you go to Romans chapter 10, that verse that says that we um, believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. That word Lord is big there. It doesn't just mean that we're saying he's Jesus, but he's Lord of our lives. That word Lord means that he rules and reigns, that he has kingship over us, that we're submitting to our lives daily. That's what we're confessing, that, that Lord, that he is the Lord of our lives, that he is the king, that he is the ruler, that we submit every part of our life to him. Peter didn't have this full understanding of what was going on, even though Jesus tells them in a very plain way what's going to happen. And he, he rebukes Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, if you're not setting your mind on the things of God. Why would he call Peter Satan here? Why would he, he, he rebuke him in that way? Get behind me, Satan. Because what Peter basically is doing it's the same thing that, that Satan offered him when he tempted him in the wilderness. If you think about it, what does Satan offer him? He brings him up on the high mountains and says, you can have all of this if you'll just bow down to me. He offers him a kingdom without any suffering. He offers him a kingdom. Paul David Tripp says he offers him a kingdom without a cross. He says, hey, you can have all these things, but it's not going to cost you anything. I'll just give it to you. Just bow down to me. Um, that's what Peter's saying. Hey, we want you as Savior. You're Christ, the anointed one, but we don't want you to have to go through that difficulty, that pain. And so he's offering him a kingdom without a cross. But that's not what Jesus said Christ had come to do. He had to come with a greater purpose, and it was God's purpose that he established before the foundations of this world that Jesus Christ would be the one sent who would lay his life down for the sins of all people, that he would be beaten and bruised for your iniquities and for mine, for our sins, that, that his blood would be shed and that he would rise up three days later and be resurrected in the newness of life that we get to connect with, that we get to live in that, that life that Jesus Christ brings. All these other religions in this world, that's the one thing that they don't get right. They may understand Jesus as a great man, but they don't understand the resurrection. They don't understand why Jesus would sacrifice himself. They don't understand the, the truth of the gospel. They don't get it. And this is what it is going on, is that grace and justice are meeting at the cross. That, that this beauty of the gospel is that, that Jesus Christ is, is taking our sins upon himself and then he's giving us his righteousness. That's the beauty of salvation. And the value of salvation is great. The grace of God is unbelievable. And that's why we submit to him. We say, yes, God, your plan is better. Peter didn't understand that in this moment. And so he wasn't willing to submit to that. In fact, that's why he would rebuke against it. I think often in our lives, what the application here is, is do we push against the things of God? Because like he said to Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan. You're not seeing the things of God. Do we push away against spiritual things because we don't fully understand what God is doing in our lives? We don't submit fully to him as the Lord of our lives. What does that mean? It means that we give him every part of us. That we let him lead in every way. That, that Jesus makes a difference in every aspect of our lives. Guys, he's not just here to be worshipped on Sunday morning and then we go home and we go to our work and we go 
to our families and we, we talk different, we act different, and we, we do these things that are separate because we have Jesus here and we have our lives here. No, Jesus is king of it all. And that's what we have to understand. That's what we have to test our lives with is Jesus king of every part of my life, of my business, of my, of, of my family life, of my parenting skills, of, of, of everything that I do. Is Jesus king of it all? We submit to him in this way. The last thing we see is Jesus calls us to follow him. It says in verse 34, um, and calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is a verse we're very familiar with, these three big things that Jesus calls us to. And so the last test of our genuineness of faith is do we confess Jesus? Do we submit to Jesus as Lord and King of our lives? And do we follow Jesus? Do we, do we follow Jesus? And this is what he's explaining what here, what it means to follow Jesus. First, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And so what Mark is doing is he's just giving us this, this explanation. If you confess Jesus, then you're submitting your life to Jesus, and then you're following Jesus with your life. In other words, there's going to be moments in your life that, that you are, are representing Christ because you are living your life for him. It's this progression that we see in our salvation is what Jesus Christ is doing. And so we deny ourselves. What does it mean to deny ourselves? It doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves. What it means is that there are worldly things that we have to put away, that there are desires that are innate in us because of our sinfulness and our brokenness of this world that we're to deny ourselves of. That we're to deny ourselves of being kings of our own kingdom. We're to deny ourselves of certain pleasures that, that we would run after and chase after because it's not okay, because it goes against God's word and it goes against submitting to him. He says you deny yourself by making Christ the Lord of your life. That, that we, we take our place out of that kingship and we put Jesus Christ there. That's the main way that we deny ourselves. We let him be the rulers of our lives. In our actions, in our daily life, that, that Jesus Christ would, would take heart. That, that Jesus Christ would be the center of everything that we do. We deny ourselves. John Piper says this, um, Jesus wasn't calling his followers to some stoic life of self-sacrifice for a noble cause. He was inviting them to joy beyond imagination. The broad road of the world is lined with seductive false promises appealing to blind, simple human hearts. And it was leading many to a, horrible, uh, to a horror beyond imagination. Jesus is calling his followers to deny themselves of this world's beliefs and its brief joys, that they may have an overflowing, eternal joy to deny themselves hell, that they might have heaven. See, John Piper, he, he gives us a spiritual explanation of what he's saying. He's saying we might be denying ourselves some things in this world. He said, but they're just fleeting moments of joy. That was a phrase that, that C.S. Lewis would, would write, that we would chase after these fleeting moments of joy. 
and, and pleasures. And, and, and our problem is our hearts continually go after these things and these pleasures and these joys are not satisfying. So we have to go more after them and more after them. That's why we see this, that sin will snowball in our lives. That it'll start with something small and it will just lead us to continue down a path that we don't want to go down. It starts out, but it continues to grow because we're chasing after more joy. We're chasing after different pleasures. And what we're reminded of here is that as we deny ourselves, we're not really denying ourselves. What we are is we're setting aside the things of this world for spiritual satisfaction and joy that is eternal. We're denying ourselves nothing because what we are is inviting a greater joy into our lives. And so, um, so the first step is to follow Jesus as we deny ourselves of our sinful ways, deny ourselves of being kings of our own kingdom, and we allow Jesus to rule and reign in that way. And it says we take up our cross. Luke says we daily take up our cross. And taking up a cross would have been a very familiar thing with, with these people at this time because it was, it was a, a, a way that they understood of, of death and persecution. Well, they understood what taking up your cross meant. It meant literally the word means that you would take the beam of your cross on your back and you would carry it to your crucifixion. And they would understand the, the ideology of this, that there is some harshness in this. There is some, some, some grimness to this, that there's some darkness in this. But the reality of it is, is that when we as believers in Jesus say we're going to take up our cross, it's one that we're identifying that Jesus took up his cross for us. That, that Jesus has already taken the cross for us. That he has had taken that upon himself. And, and we're, we're first, we're believing that he has done that for us. Because he has done that for us, then we're willing to live our lives for him and endure some persecution and some hardships at times. The Bible never says that you won't go through hard times. In fact, he says that the world will hate you because it first hated me. That's, the, that's what we take on ourselves as when we choose to believe in Christ is that it might mean that there's people out there that don't get it. They don't understand where we're coming from, that they might not like it. In fact, they might come against us. I had a youth kid a few years ago come to me, and this kid, nobody in his family believed in Jesus. They didn't come to church. He found a Bible. He started reading it. He read the whole thing. This was a very smart kid. He, he, he was a little bit different, uh, but but man, he just he got a hold of this Bible. He read it all the way through. And he's like, man, I need to know more about this Jesus. So he reads it again all the way through. And then he shows up at church and he says, I've got to know more about this Jesus. I've never heard anything like this. And so I said, let's go back and start reading through the Gospels. And he reads through the Gospels. And he comes to me. He's like, I've got to get saved. He said, man, I believe all of this. And he radically changes his life. I mean, just from where he was, the word of God spoke to his heart. And man, he was sold out for Jesus. And he went back and he started telling his friends about Jesus. He started making, I mean, acting different and being different. And, and his friends all of a sudden were like, who are you? Like, you are weird now. Like, we don't want anything to do with you. And, and it took a few months, but a few months in, into knowing him, probably about six months or so, he finally came to my office one day before church and he said, this is hard know that following Jesus was going to be this hard. He's like, I don't get it. He said, I want them to know how much God loves them, and they hate me. He's like, they don't want anything to do with me. They don't want 
talk to me. They avoid me at school. I go through my day, he said, as, as a weirdo. And he said, I just want them to know Jesus. And I think that that's what this is talking about, that, that we take up our cross and we're willing to endure persecution. This kid was enduring that maybe more than any of us in this room has ever had to endure because it was real for him. Man, he was going through hardship, and he was trying to reconcile these things. And, and why would people not like me? And, and I had to use those verses that the Bible tells us that we'll go through these things, that, that the world hates us, and that we'll identify with the persecutions of Jesus as we go through different persecutions in our own lives, that God was doing something in him, and he was showing his glory through him. And I tried to encourage him, but can I tell you that eventually, like, Six more months down the road, it was almost too much for him. I began to see him start to slide away from church. And this grip that the gospel had on him, and it began to fade. The pressure of, of the people around him began to, to, to change him and to begin to, that he just was unable to just hold out with that same kind of passion and love. And I think we all tend to fade in this way. But the Bible tells us that we're going to follow Jesus, that we endure our cross we are willing to go to death. Think about the, who wrote this. These are men who were disciples who took their crosses. They literally gave their lives for the sake of the gospel of making Jesus known. And so we are willing to follow him wherever he leads, even if it costs us something. Now, there's a pastor during World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And, and he reminds us that one of the great problems that he saw that was going to come is, is during the persecution and things that he was going through and his time as a pastor during World War II in, in Germany and these areas and a missionary to these areas is that we have cheapened grace. We've devalued the grace of God. And he said what we've done is we've made it too easy and we don't have to sacrifice to be followers of Christ anymore. And he said, that's going to cause all kinds of problems because people aren't going to stay faithful when grace is this cheap. And we've seen that. He, he talked about that years and years ago, that that was going to be a harmful thing for, for the world to see, a cheap grace, because grace is not cheap. It costs the life of Jesus. It cost everything that he had. He gave his life. He took the beating upon himself. He was broken and, and bled for our sins. We ended last week's service in communion to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us as his body was broken, as his blood was shed. And the Bible tells us that we do that and we take that as this reminder as believers that Jesus Christ went through these things for us and for our sin. What a great Savior. That's not cheap grace. That's grace that costs much. And because grace costs much, we should be sold out and excited to share that kind of grace and be faithful to that kind of Lord and Savior in our lives because it is not an easy thing. It's not a small thing. The last thing he says is follow me. As we, as we kind of conclude our service here in this, this question, are we followers of Christ? If we're checking the genuineness of our faith, do we confess Jesus? Do we submit to him as Lord? And are we following him? What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that we go after him. 
that we pursue him, we grow in our relationship with him. It's simple stuff. They can be telling our kids upstairs the same thing right now. Read your Bible. Pray. Worship God. Sing songs that worship him, that praise him. Go to Bible studies. Engage with people who, who have gospel conversations. Share your faith with others. You pursue Jesus with your life. That's what it means to follow him. A follower of someone is someone who becomes like them. That's what sanctification is, is that we're becoming more like Jesus. That is an absolute part of our salvation. Is if we are truly saved, then we're going to be becoming more like Jesus in our life. For some of us and many of us, it's a long journey to get there. Some of us are passionate at times, and man, we, we take big steps, and then sometimes we take steps back, and it's back and forth. The Bible says that we're to follow him. It's to love him. It's to seek him daily. Uh, it's to pray. It's to be people who serve God, who serve in his church, who, who do the kingdom work, who, who share our love of God with others and our faith with others. And we follow Jesus with every part of our lives. That's what it means to follow him. We deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow him. And listen to what it says in the rest of this passage. Verse 35, it says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? And what, what uh, an amazing way to end, end this passage here. He says, what if you go after the world? What if the world offers you everything you've ever wanted? All the money, all the pleasure, all the joy that life could give you for the next 80 years or 100 years of your life or whatever it might be. What if the world gives you everything it has, but at the end of it, you don't have Jesus? And then the Bible says that then it's destruction. Then it's hell. Then it's, it, it's apart from God. Then it's, it's suffering for all of eternity. And he says, what does it profit a man? What value is there really if we have to give up these things of this world? Because what we get in return is, is the joy of God. Is that he is our savior. That he is our life. That he has our souls. And we are safe in him. Margaret, as you come. I pray that we would have that mindset that, that sees the things with spiritual eyes. That, that sees the things of what, what the world is, is not as pleasurable and joyous. And, and, and it's not even for us, but Christ is. Man, he is offering us so much more joy than we could ever have. In, in any other pursuit of life. He is going to satisfy our souls. He's going to bring us into a, a greater place in eternity. Uh, but it's not just about those things. It's about that we have Jesus every day. He is with us. He becomes a part of who, our lives, and we follow him. So we have a test in front of us. We ask ourselves these three questions. Is my life confessing Jesus? Is he being made much of? Have I personally looked inward and said, am I a true believer of Christ? Do I believe that he's the son of God? Do I believe that he was sent to die on the cross for my sins? Did my life confess Jesus? 
Am I willing to submit to his leadership and the transforming power of the gospel? Am I willing to say this is what changes life, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he did these things, and because of those things, you are Lord of my life. Are we willing to follow him? Willing to say, not my way, Lord, but yours. We're willing to, to, to seek him in every moment of our lives. That's my prayer, is that, that everybody who comes in this church would have that kind of assurance of their salvation. Is that because they, they know it to be true in their lives. It's because we're excited about Jesus. Because Jesus makes all the difference in us. We can't do these things because we have the ability on our own. That's what all the other religions say. Yeah, Jesus was great, but you can accomplish these things. No, the Bible says you're broken, messed up, but if you'll submit to Jesus, he'll do these things in you. That he'll change your life from the inside out. That he will give you the boldness to preach the gospel and share his love. That he will give you new desires. He'll take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. That he will change us. And the only way that Jesus Christ can do that. And so do we understand the genuineness of our faith? Do we confess Jesus? Do we submit to him? And are we followers of him? Let's pray. God, your word is, is convicting even to my own heart, Lord. In, in just so many ways, I fail to do these things. But God, you are gracious. You are a loving God. You're full of mercy. And Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would, as believers, just be excited to confess Jesus. Lord, to, to have that real belief in you established in our hearts and our minds, just like Peter could say confidently, you're the one sent by God. Lord, that we would submit to the gospel message, what that means, even though that means that we're broken and sinful. But God, you are holy and Lord, that you bring us into your holiness through the cross. God, I pray that it would lead us to follow you, to lay down our lives, Lord, to pick up our crosses, and Lord, just to chase after you with our hearts. Or that we'd have a desire within us to live for you, to honor you, to glorify you. God, help us to live that way. God, I pray for those. Lord, if there's, there's anyone right now, Lord, that, that might not know you as Savior, God, that you do the work. Or that you just begin convicting through your word, through the gospel. Or that they would see their great need for a Savior like you. God, help us to love you more. Lord, help us to, to exalt you the way that, that Mark shows us here today, that you deserve to be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.